0: You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five part series of messages Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake, Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Now, here is Howard Sugden on Today in the Word radio. On one occasion, H.G. Wells told the story of a man who had been challenged to spend a night in a haunted house. The reward for his spending the night there was a substantial sum. The man accepted the challenge and at the appointed evening made his way to the house of so-called whore But he was not disturbed, for he was well-equipped for the night. He brought with him a basket of candles, and he moved through the house in the beginning of the evening, and he placed all these candles in strategic points, lighted. And then he sat down in his comfortable chair to spend the night and to claim the reward in the morning. And then suddenly it all began to happen. As though there was an invisible breath, the candle over here went out, and the one back there, and it moved from candle to candle to candle until the man was in total darkness, and horror gripped his soul. The candles in all the world had gone out. And Isaiah saw that day and wrote, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Paul wrote about it, and he tells us of men whose minds were darkened because they were alienated from the life of God. And in that hour of darkness, God arranged to insert himself in history. And the miracle of all the miracles in the world is the miracle that the eternal God has walked on this earth. God has been here. Now, how could he do this? Some years ago, down near Cedarville College in a little town, there was a seminary, and one of the great teachers in the seminary was a man by the name of Kaiser, K-E-Y-S-E-R. He wrote a book entitled The Philosophy of Christianity, and he has a great paragraph on this amazing miracle of God, and I read. If man is to be redeemed, if a divine person is to come into the world, empty himself, appear in fashion as a man, put himself in man's place, and take upon himself the moral task that man himself, being a sinner, could not himself perform. In order to accomplish this great achievement, there must be three persons in the Godhead. For only so could one divine person empty himself and refrain from the exercise of his divine power and still leave the throne of the universe occupied by its sovereign. Thus, two remaining persons of the Godhead could uphold the cosmos and at the same time sustain the divine person who had humbled himself by putting himself within the limits of time and space. Think of it. God putting himself in the limits of time and the limits of space and becoming a man, a man. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, Christ Peter. He was a man. And he enshrined himself in our human nature. Miracle of miracles. So that Paul, writing to young Timothy, could say to him, Great is the mystery of piety, the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. I must say that never in my life Have I ever doubted the wonder of God incarnate in a person, and that person his son? Now we want to talk about it tonight. Have you you been to the Holy Land? One day a man walked in my study and said, Pastor Sugden, have you been to the Holy Land? I said, I have not. He said, Are you interested in going? I am not. Would you go if we gave you a trip? Well, that do put a different picture before you. That do. I called Mrs. Sugden and said, There's a man who wants to send us to the Holy Land. He wants us to see the Holy Land. So she said, Well, when does he want us to go? I told her the day. She said, We're going. She makes some major decisions at our house, so we went. But the greatest of all things, I think, I don't know, but I think so, is to go to the fields of Bethlehem, to just go there and see the fields. And you know, the great, 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 great grandchildren of those sheep are in the fields there right now. And they go, and You can tell it sounds just like they did that night so long ago. <laughs> Imagine shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. The glory of the Lord came down. And think of it, angels scurried down the expressways of heaven. And they announced that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And because he came, We are here, and because he came, we'll be there. And because he came, we will reign. And because he came, we will dwell in the house of Jehovah forever. Now let's look at it. You have the Gospel of Luke, verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, same fields are there, and, lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid." Usually angels did not cause that much fear in Jewish people's experiences because they were familiar with angels. And they were very active. When the Lord Jesus came the first time, they were very active in the world. They scurried here and scurried there. They went to Joseph. They went to Mary. They went there and there, and they're here. The angel said unto them, Don't be afraid. Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born a Savior. Ye shall, this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Now, what was God doing? God was speaking to men. Now, God is articulate, you know. God is communicative. I would know there was a God without a Bible. We, we live in one of the greatest cities in, in Michigan. Did you know that? I suppose you would say your city is, but we love Lansing. We like it because it's the center, it, it is the educational center. You can't believe what we have. 45,000 students at Michigan State, 15,000 students in our community college. In our law school, we have another group, and in our medical works, we have more. We're just crowded with students, and they talk with us about God. How do you know there is a God? Because there is a Bible. A Bible! Yes, a Bible. Well, would we know there was a God if we didn't have a Bible? We would! The answer is, I know there is a God, and you know there is a God. First of all, he communicates himself in creation about us. David said this. He said, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars that thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Psalm 8. He looked out one night, and he said, he wrote the 19th Psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. God talks. You just can't escape him. That's creation. But there's more than creation. God not only speaks in creation, God speaks in conscience. You cannot read Romans chapter 1. Of course, if you read Romans chapter 1, you couldn't stop it. So you have to read Romans chapter 2, and when you read Romans chapter 2, the apostle Paul deals with what I'm talking about here. In chapter 1 he says that the creation leaves every man guilty before God. Men are not guilty because they have rejected Jesus Christ or rejected the message. They are guilty because God has revealed himself in creation and they have refused to accept God's revelation in creation. He said, every man stands guilty before God, Romans 1, 19, 20, and 21. And when he comes to chapter 2, he said, now God has not only talked to us in creation, he has talked to us in conscience. Dr. Samuel Zwamer was one of our teachers. I I personally feel that Dr. Samuel Zwamer is one of the greatest men who ever lived. Just book after book after book. Some time ago, Mr. Herman Baker came down to to look at our library and talk books with me. And he said to me, how does it happen you have so many of Dr. Weimer's books? I said, because he was my teacher. Oh, he said, he was. What a privilege. Oh, I said, great privilege. My, I wonder if Dr. Wehmer knows what's going on now in the Muslim world. In the day that he lived, he was the greatest authority in the world on Muslims. He was the greatest authority. Dr. Wehmer, I heard, I heard him say one day that he had never visited a place in the world and the most aboriginal tribes where men were not aware that stealing was wrong, murder was wrong, adultery was wrong. Why? Conscience is it. God communicates. He communicates in creation. He communicates in conscience. But you know another way He communicates, and we forget this sometimes, we forget this, Psalm 2 says that God communicates to us in another way. Why do the nations so furiously rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and His anointed, saying, Let us cast away all restraints and cut off His authority over us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You know what the next word is? Then shall He vex them in His sore displeasure. And he speaks to men in times of crisis. I believe that. So when I hear of earthquakes, and storms, and tornadoes, and DC-10s falling that I've ridden on, I realize that God is trying to say something to us today. He isn't passive. But there was a day when he spoke. And, oh, that speech was so soft and wonderful. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a baby. Can you imagine? God, a baby? If you want attention, get a baby. (laughs) They're the best attention-getters in the world. Everything can be going normal in our house of God. On a Lord's Day morning, everybody's praising God and worshiping. And some lady comes in with a little baby in her arms. She has escaped our nursery, where babies cry to get in. And they, she comes in and sits down, and that baby starts to cry. And all the people in the congregation start paying attention to that baby and not me, which is <laughs> <Just> terrible. <laughs> you want to get attention? Get a baby. I think it was George H. Morrison who said this great word that God always speaks to men in ways that they can understand. He talked to the astrologers. No, the astronomers with stars. He speaks so men can understand, and everyone can understand the language of a baby. Who would believe that God would step out of the ivory palaces, undress himself all the way down, and become a span long. Can you imagine eternity and time snuggled on a peasant woman's breast? you know who he was? God with us, God speaking to you and God speaking to me in a baby, a span long. God gets our attention. Creation, conscience, crisis, incarnation, Jesus Christ. So it's God speaking. Now the second great truth I think we see here. Unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Imagine linking this one who is born a baby up with eternity. When I was born, you know someone had the nerve today to ask me how long ago I was born. And I couldn't tell them because I can't remember it. But I was there. And when I was born that day in, in a little brick home up outside the little town of Kingston in the Thumb of Michigan, that's where I cried for the first time. And my mother looked at me and said, he's cute. <laughs> I was just another personality added to all the thousands of personalities existing in the world. Nothing unusual. No one stopped by that day to get my autograph. Not a soul. I was just somebody else coming, just another life in the world. But this was absolutely unique, and it was unique in this, that when Jesus Christ was born into the world, He was not one more personality added to the sum total of all existing personalities, but an already existing personality, a personality that already existed. He always was with God. And an already existing personality stepped into the world with a new life, a new life a new life. Right now, the people in our city, I suppose everywhere, they are quite disturbed about cults. And I get more questions in my question-and-answer time in our house of God that we have about the cults than any other question. And all I have to say to quietly deal with it is to say... The way to tell the false is to know the true. Somebody will go, oh, buy all the books on the cults. Buy a good Bible and study it. Know the truth. That will take care of that, the false. But do you know where all of them go astray? They go astray here. They go astray on the person of Jesus Christ. Who was he? Was he just another personality added to the great ebb and flow of human history, or was he an altogether unique life coming into the world? And we say that he was an absolutely unique person entering into the flow of human history. He was God incarnate, walking on earth. I've told you about Mrs. Sugden, the night that the first man went on the moon. She screamed at me, and I was. Uh, she said, Oh, come! They got a man on the moon. And I ran in, and there he was, bouncing around on the moon, <laughs> just, just bouncing on the moon. My friends told me, who live in Toronto, that the great Highway 400 that night was practically vacant of cars. No one wanted to miss it. A man, a man, an, an earth man, on the moon! And the world got excited. But there wasn't much excitement that night in Bethlehem. God was on earth, and they never knew it. They never knew it. God was here, and they never knew it. The traffic didn't stop. They kept going on playing cards in the, in the motel. Drinking in the bar, traffic flowing, God with us. I want you to look, though, with me at John's Gospel. Do it quickly. John will be right after Luke. Now, the reason I say that is because I've been, Mrs. Suggins, I've been in DVBS, Daily Vacation Bible School, just for you folk who may not have one. You miss a great thing. And I have been talking kids' language for the last week, and it's awfully hard to shift from one gear to another. So I've been trying to teach children, and now you're all so professional. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 4. Well, let's take verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All the cults could do well to read this. Verse 4, in him was life inherent. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. Verse 14, look at this. And the word became flesh. The word that was in the beginning with God that was God, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we saw the glory of God in a, in a man, a body, a body. In the Old Testament, he first was in a tabernacle, the glory was in a tabernacle, then the glory came in a temple, but now the glory is in a man. Now look at verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. It's a great word. It means to lead forth, to make known, to unfold, to bring out where he can be seen. And when the babe was born in Bethlehem, he led God into visibility. Just think, he led God into visibility. Now I know what God is like. How do I know what he's like? Jesus, the Lord, that's how I know what he's like. Now go to John 14, and we'll have to go back in a moment. Some time ago, I had a, an invitation to a school here in Michigan, by the way. They sent me a nice invitation and said, would you like to come down to our theological society in our college, where most of the young men are preparing for the ministry? And would you like to come down and spend an evening and teach us what Jesus thought about God? I thought that was cute. (laughs) What Jesus thought about God. I thought I'd love to go. And so I went that night. I'll never forget that night, as long as I lived. Drove on campus and drove to the building. And the fellows were already coming in, and they had a a, a good-sized room. And I went in and just looked them over, and walked down the aisles and shook hands with them. And as I did, I, I looked, and there was not a single Bible there, not one. Finally, I saw kind of a shy little guy come in, looked like I did when I was a farmer. And uh, he had a Bible. Just thrilled my soul, got goosebumps all over me. I said, here's a guy with a Bible. So I went back, and I shook his hand and looked, and his Bible had marks in it. That's a good sign. I said, you got your Bible? He said, yes. He said, I'm Bible. I said, what about, well, he said, you'll understand as you go on. That was a mild statement. So I said, I want to thank you for inviting me to come down and talk with you about what Jesus thought about God. I said, because I have an authoritative word from him, I'll read it to you. And I started in with John 1 to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not. And did you know passage after passage after passage simply states that Jesus Christ was God? He was God incarnate. Culminate, look at verse 9, John 14 and 9. Philip said unto him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. He said, Oh, if we could just see God. Imagine the cry of this man. If we could see God, this is all we want, just to get one glimpse of God. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen thee. What's the next word, class? Father. Think of it. He said, Philip, when you looked on me as I have walked and worked and moved in your midst, you have seen God. I believe that. I heard dear Dr. McLean when he was an older man quietly say, no man can ever say that he has not seen God, because he that has seen him has seen the Father. Great word. God was communicating, and more than that, He was not only speaking, but he was entering into the flow of human history as an absolutely unique personality. Now, let's take the third word that's used here. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. God now enters into the stream of human history for a purpose. What does he come for? Well, the angel said unto Joseph, He shall save his people from their sins. When he talked with Mary in Luke chapter 1, again he speaks of the Saviorhood. And now he tells us that he was the Savior of men. The incarnation of Jesus Christ in the fullness of time, Paul says, right in the very nick of time, when the world was in its darkness, he came that he might redeem men. And by us back Under an eastern sky Amid a rabble's cry A man went forth to die For me Thorns crowned his blessed head Cross-laden on he sped Blood marked his every tread For me Why? to pay the price to redeem me and buy me. There is born unto you a Savior this day. A Savior has been born who will buy you back and redeem you. This is almost a lost word in our theological circles today. This is the day of good advice, not good news. We have become counselors instead of communicators, sad. And a world outside does not realize the magnitude of the work of Jesus Christ in his redemptive death. I am sure it was A.J. Gordon who said one day he went out across Boston Commons and found a little boy with a of Remember that little boy that had the big the big cage full of sparrows. And I I know about this because when I was a kid on the farm, we got three cents a head for sparrows. There was a bounty on them, and my kid brother and I could go out, and in one night we could make a whole buck. We'd shoot 40 sparrows, and we'd get a dollar and 20 cents. i hold the flashlight. He took the BB rifle, and we went around the old straw stack. We'd see one up there, and I'd turn the light on. He'd shoot. Sparrow number one, we'd fill up our little bag, take him in, and get a dollar and 20 cents for more. And this little kid was going down across the commons with his little cage full of sparrows, and dear old Dr. Gordon met him and said, Where are you going, sonny?" Eh? He said, I'm going to get the money for my sparrows. And Dr. Gordon said, How much are they worth? Well, he said, They're three cents now. said they just upped the price. Dr. Gordon said, do you know what I'll do? He said, no, what will you do? He said, I'll give you five bucks for the whole lot. And the little kid sat down in the cage and looked up and said, I think you're nuts. (laughs) But he said, you just bought yourself a cage of sparrows. And Gordon said he picked up that cage of sparrows and opened the door, and he reached in his hand and took out the first sparrow. He looked at his little brown coat, and he was so shaky and so nervous. And he said, I just held him in my hand, and I put him up like this and stood there for a minute. And then I opened my hand and threw him out in the air. And he said, moved his wings and got his balance. And she said, he flew off. And he said, as he flew away, I heard him sing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. (laughs) Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. Listen, dear Christian tonight. Do you thank him for that, that there was a day when he died to redeem you unto himself? God that night was God speaking. He was speaking. God that night was also God redeeming, sending his Son to be a Savior. Now let's take the last word. I I get this out of just reading the chapter, which you will do and which you know, and I'm sure which you have thought of many, many times, that as you have gone through the chapter and have seen God speaking and God entering and God redeeming, now you see God transforming. One of my favorite authors, as you know, is George H. Morrison. And he dropped this idea in my mind one day, and I have never ceased to thank him for it—God transforming. I'd like to ask you tonight, how how many mangers do you know about that were in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born? Do you know about any mangers? You know one. Why do you know about that manger? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, the Lord, was there. And I went through all the wonders of the gospel. I touched everything. I thought about boats. How many boats bobbed up and down on the Sea of Galilee? Mrs. Sight and I have ridden on that sea, preached on that sea. And you see boats everywhere on the sea. They go bobbing up and down. Everybody has a boat on the Sea of Galilee. But you know about one boat. Why? Because he touched it. How many, how many mules do you know about? How many asses do you know about in the land of Palestine in the day when Jesus everybody had a donkey? Everybody the land was full of donkeys. still is full of donkeys, four-legged ones. And uh, still there. Uh, how, how, many, how, many, how many donkeys do you know about? I know one donkey. You know why that donkey is known today? Because one day the King of Glory touched a donkey and he'll never be the same again. And you know him. Now everybody buys tapes of Doug Odom. Everybody does. But I I, I met Doug when he was as big as he is now. But it was at the beginning of his life when no one knew him. And I was invited down into Virginia for a meeting. And I got there, and at night I went out to preach. And here was this man. I had never seen him before in my life. The next day he told me the story of his life, and it grabbed my heart. And I've had a, a different thoughts than I ever had before. But that night, I'll never forget, we started the service, and they sang a hymn, and people sang, and then they said, Mr. Odom is going to sing for us. And there was no organ, no piano, and Doug just stepped out. And when he stepped out, without any single support at all, he just lifted up his voice and closed his eyes and sang, He Touched Me. Oh, he touched me. And I thought, Dear God, isn't it great that everything He touches, He transforms? Everything He touches, He makes. And He touched you once and brought you to Himself. And now all the rest of your days He'll be touching you and shaping you and making you. Unto you is born this day a Savior. God speaking, and God entering, and God redeeming, and God transforming life that He touches. Shall we pray? Dear Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the night that He came that night so long ago. We sang so well, joy to the world, the Lord's come. Thank you for sending him and for his touching us in his redemptive purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at MoodyAudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.